Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. We will proceed. We were uh, last week looking at the greater exodus, if I'm not mistaken. Well, it wasn't last week. It was, it's been, what, two weeks now because we had revived. And then I survived revive and <laughs> gave myself a week off, uh, which was absolutely necessary. So it's good to be home. Always love revive because it's like a, a family reunion. You get to see the people you only get to see once a year. So the last uh, lesson we had on the greater exodus, what we did is we reviewed the the Torah portion, Kitavo, just very briefly, very briefly, because I wanted you to see this pattern. If we're talking about the Exodus, there, there has to be a beginning and there has to be an end. Of course, we know the book of Exodus itself, Shemot, that's a big beginning. It's a huge beginning. Um, there's a lot to know about the beginning, but part of that great beginning, of course, was the crossing of the Reed Sea. That is going to I would say officially close the door on death behind them. It doesn't mean they don't have a whole lot more ahead of them before they will cross into the promised land, but salvation closes some doors behind you. And the the grip of death and destruction, it, it closes the waters behind you on that. And so when the miracle is duplicated, 40 years later, when they, they're ready to cross into the land, and uh, Joshua is told to set up stones. And, you know, this is pretty much the last thing that Moses is going to do. And so we looked at Deuteronomy 27, 1 through 3. It says, Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones. These are avanim dolot, and coat them with lime, and write on them all the words of this law when you cross over, so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. And when we looked at that, we saw the the problem the first time they tried to cross over was how they saw themselves. They didn't see the spiritual stature. They didn't see the spiritual stature of their calling. We are called. And next week, we'll get into more detail about the calling. And of course, it was in the newsletter this week. What is your calling? What happens? You know, we always want to ask, what happens at the greater exes? Well, what is your calling? We need to know those two things. And it'll, it'll definitely make a difference in how the question is answered. What happens? But at this point, as Israel has now put the wilderness behind them, and they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan into the promised land, which represents the Garden of Eden hovering just above it. It's a realm hovering just above the land of Israel. He goes ahead and he has them put on up these large stones so they can write all the words of the law. And I, my term for that is the international mezuzah, the international mezuzah. And, and what I wanted to show you just, it, it was, uh, it it was a picture of a huge stone mezuzah that is on the, the tomb of Jacob and Leah at Hebron. 
And so when we look at a mezuzah, again, it has the commandments inside. It has an abbreviated version of the commandments inside. But this international mezuzah that was set up as they crossed the Jordan, that was very important because it's setting up the mezuzah of the house of Israel. They're about to go into their inheritance. And then eventually, uh, the more specific place of the temple of the house will be set up. Uh, But until then, it's just like when you put a mezuzah on the doorpost of your house, anybody that passes through that door knows that this house is dedicated to Adonai. There's no question when they cross that threshold, who's in charge there. It's not a mixed message. It's very much you know, a a Joshua type of statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's out there in public where anybody can see it as they pass by, or should they choose to enter the house? Should they choose to enter the house? They know what the rules are. They know that the the word, they know that the Torah is the, the house rule as they go in there. And so it's the same way with setting up these stones as they cross the Jordan so that these other nations, as they approach, because remember, the Jordan is the official entrance to Israel. doesn't matter if you landed in Tel Aviv or if you drove up from Egypt. The official entrance, the spiritual entrance to Israel is always going to be crossing over the Yarden, right? And remember, Yarden, it comes from Yarad, it means to come down. And so it represents this realm where the Garden of Eden can once again descend and in a sense, marry the physical land that it was once joined to. We get that picture again with the temple above descending out of heaven. And so it, it you ride, it comes down. And that's why we need to cross the Arden. It's representing that we see the both aspects of the land of Israel, the, the physical aspect that's definitely, you can go there today and see it, you can walk on it, but there is a realm hovering just above it. And that tends to be what draws draws people there. It's because of what you know is there, but you can't quite see it with your physical eyes yet. Faith tells you it's there. And so it was necessary as these nations approached Israel that that Israel had this international mezuzah that says, if you approach here, these are the rules that we live by. These are the rules. And so it's going to be here that we see that miracle again of the crossing where the waters back up and they go through on dry land, right? So official entryway. So I want to I'm gonna back up from there. I want I want to take you back and forth from the, the Jordan back to the Reed Sea. But I want you to see what's similar between the two. And that's what I mean about prophecy. Yes, when a prophecy recycles itself, it will be similar but it will not always be exact, right? That, that keeps you on your toes in your generation. You don't want to run out ahead. You don't want to run too far. You want to stay right there and, and let him order your steps. So as the people are about to cross the Reed Sea, of course, they're very afraid because they can see Pharaoh and his chariots in pursuit. And in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. 
Well, you keep silent. Okay, that's a that's a key right there. That's a clue. What's going to happen when they cross the Jordan? What's going to happen when we cross the Jordan at the greater exodus? Will this tell us exactly? Probably not. But will it give us something to look for? Will it give us a a guidepost? Since we're talking about a mezuzah, will it give us a guidepost? Well, I think the clue here that will take us all the way to the book of Revelation is what Moses says. He says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. So it's it's not even a matter of prayer. You've already prayed. They've already asked Moses, do something. <laughs> and Moses has already asked Adonai, do something. And basically, if, if you go ahead and read the full context here in Exodus 14, Adonai is telling Moses, like, why are you talking to me about it? You know, get busy. Get busy with deliverance right here. Quit standing here talking. Get busy. So the key, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. All right. So let's skip forward in time. Let's go back to the Jordan River. The Israelites are about to cross the Jordan. Where have they been in between the Reed Sea and the Jordan for 40 years? Basically, they have been in a holding pattern. They've been in preparation mode. They're being perfected in their faith before they cross over. That's the question to us. Where are we right now? We have left the Reed Sea behind us. We have left death and destruction behind us. If if we have accepted the salvation of Messiah Yeshua, the realm of death and destruction being lost, that's what Pharaoh's advisors told him. They said, don't you know that Egypt is already avad? It's it's already lost. That's the same root word as Abaddon in the book of Revelation. Abaddon is a place of being lost. It's a place of destruction. And they're they're trying to tell Pharaoh, don't you know Egypt's lost? And so many people today, I'm like, don't you know Egypt's lost? Why are you hanging on in these plagues? Get up and move. And so they crossed the Reed Sea. They left the realm of death, of destruction, of being lost. And in the wilderness, they were matured. And finally, when they cross with Yehoshua, they have matured into a people who are ready to dwell in the land. Now, they're, they're, they had some hiccups there. They had a golden calf. They had 10 bad spies. And so they weren't able to attain to that land in its fullness. They weren't able to enter the Garden of Eden. Some of the rabbis say they could have. Had they just gone ahead and they trusted and followed Moses on, from Mount Sinai, had there not been a golden calf, had there not been a bad report of the land, they could have gone right in and attained to the garden. The whole nation could have attained to the garden at that point, but they didn't. They weren't ready. They needed maturing. Uh, Just like Moses, he needed maturing 40 years in a wilderness before he led Israel to mature 40 years in the wilderness. But here's what he says. He he knows he's about to die, and he knows Yehoshua is going to lead them over And in Deuteronomy 27, 9 through 11, Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become a people for the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, 
when you cross the Yarden, when you cross the Yarden. So he, there's a connection there between the two things. Today, you've become a people. And you say, now, wait a minute. I thought they kind of became a people at Mount Sinai. They did. But remember, we have 40 years of maturing. So it's it's one of those things where, let's say a 13-year-old boy has his bar mitzvah. Theoretically, now he's responsible for all the commandments. But he's still 13. He's still immature. He might know the commandments in his head. But now there has to be a practical experience with them. So he may not reach an age of accountability until he reaches 18. Does that make sense? You you have to continue to be instructed in them and to practice them. It's not like you can hear something one time and know exactly what to do with it. So it gave them an opportunity uh, to affirm that, yes, you became a people at Mount Sinai. And then also today, you have become a people. It's it's part of your growth process. But now, having followed with Moses for 40 years in the wilderness, having been instructed, now you are a mature people. And it's going to be linked to when you cross the Yarden. They have matured to the point as a people that now they can cross the Yarden and behave responsibly in the land itself. And that generation did with one exception. That generation was ready. And he links it there. He says, you shall therefore obey the Lord your God and do his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. Even the fine print, they've had a chance to learn more than the Big Ten. They've had a chance now to learn the fine print. And that's part of the experience. That's what we're doing right now. We all know what the Big Ten are, but what are we doing? We're in law school. We're learning the fine print. We're learning how to walk in the covenant. Yes, we know what's in there. We've all read the Bible. It doesn't mean we all know how to be responsible with it yet. But when he matures us to that place, that's when we're ready to cross the Yarden. And when we're ready to cross the Yarden, something similar is going to happen. We're going to be silent in the same way that they were told basically to shut up (laughs) and let Adonai fight for them in the same way. Remember, we've got the seven Canaanite kings in the land itself that scared them off to begin with. And rather than sending out, you know, 12 spies, 10 of which are going to come back and and run their heads, they're going to give a bad report. He's saying, don't do it the same way. For right now, just shut up. Just be silent and listen. We don't do enough being silent and listening. But if we do want to understand prophecy, we do have to be silent and listen sometimes. And this is going to mark a a little bit different stage in the the journey. Whereas before they needed to be silent and watch Adonai fight for them as they were delivered from death and destruction, now they need to be silent and listen. Well, the same thing's going to happen. The the water's going to roll back. They're going to go through on dry ground, but now they're actually entering in to the fullness of life. So you can see there how those two things match. The Reed Sea is an exit from destruction, but entering the Yarden was going into something. It wasn't running away from something. It was running into something. Now they're ready to 
dwell in the land according to the commandments. And so fast forward, let's go running right up into that, that roller coaster of Revelation and Revelation 8.1, which you can go, you can go back and you can look at the context there of the seals. But it says when the lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. All right. I think because we've got now these three examples of Israel just shutting up. And in this case, it wasn't just Israel told to shut up. It's like all of heaven went silent and they were just there to listen and watch. Just listen and watch. Just it's watch him do it. Because here again, nothing has really changed. The Israelites didn't turn the waters back at the Reed Sea or the Yarden by their own strength. Their king did that for them. Their job was to be quiet, listen, listen to what? Well, your preparation is listening to the commandments. That's the context of Deuteronomy 27 9, when they're told to be silent. This is be silent and listen. What do you do when you hear? You obey. You obey his commandments. You obey his statutes. So when the lamb breaks the seventh seal and there's silence in heaven for about half an hour, I think if we match that to what happens at the yard, and it's telling us again that Israel has become a mature people. This day you have become a people in the same way that Moses could say this day you have become a people, even though they were already a people at Mount Sinai, even though they came out as a people from Egypt. Like, Well, at what point did they become a people? Well, they kept becoming a people. And we're not done becoming a people yet. Try saying that three times. We're still becoming a people. When will that that sense of peoplehood perhaps finally be done? And, And I'm not saying it will be finally because there could be something even beyond that in eternity. But in terms of our recorded history, past, present, and future, we have the example here in Revelation 8 1. We've got these seven seals of judgment, which is basically, you know, we talk about the seal of the Holy Spirit. This is going to be a period where there'll be great judgments executed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy One Himself, the Lamb Himself, will be uh, exacting judgment upon the earth, the same way that they exacted judgment upon the Egyptians. Now, the good news is that at the crossing of the Yarden, they put up these warning stones. They put up these mezuzah stones to the nations. At this point in Revelation, we know there's still a lot of of nations who don't want to listen. They don't want to fear Adonai. I get so sick of hearing that phrase, I'm just living my truth. Well, that's it's not truth. You're just living what you want to live. Call it what it is, but you're not living truth. There is only one truth, and his word is truth. And if you're not living according to the word, it's not even your truth because it's not truth. You're just living your desire. That's all you're doing. Let's be honest. I'm living my desire. I'm not living truth. But if you're living according to his will, his commandments, his statutes with his people, now you're living the truth. There is no such thing as my truth. 
And so this crossing that's happening with the seventh seal, there is some sort of crossing over that's occurring right here. And and because it's coordinated here with the seventh seal, that makes perfect sense because we know seven is a perfect number. It's signaling the completion of something. And those of you who have maybe done workbooks one and two, where we just keep layering, not just the seven days of creation, the seven spirits of Adonai, the seven feasts, the seven assemblies, the seven seals in workbook two, it's just more of the same pattern. And if we put that into the context of Sukkot, let's say just for example, the seventh seal, let's let's say it, it's occurring at a time of Sukkot. Well, we know that Sukkot is joined at the same place on the menorah as Passover. And so in that sense, those two feasts have a lot in common. One just moves into the other in terms of those seven feasts. And so we know that the resurrection of the dead would occur at the Feast of Trumpets with the fall feasts, also called Rosh Hashanah. We know that there'll be 10 terrible days where you can still repent. If you weren't ready, if you weren't sealed, if you were still in that intermediate category, you can still repent until the gates close at Yom HaKippurim 10 days later. And that's when those judgments are sealed. And then at the time of Sukkot, a few days later, those judgments will be handed off for execution. So let's just, in terms of a theme, Let's think of the seventh seal in terms of Sukkot, the seventh feast. This would be when the the decrees would be unsealed and executed. The the decrees that had been made and sealed up at Yom HaKippurim or Yom Kippur, they would begin to be unsealed and executed in the same way that we can see execution of decrees at the Passover week. If we go back to the crossing of the Reed Sea, the execution of those decrees occurred at Passover. The execution of decrees, we could also say occurred when Joshua led them over the yard because we know it was the Passover week. So the preparation, we can see the, the pattern is Decrees are being executed at Pesach. But here's the thing we see in, in the book of Revelation, there will be decrees that are executed which eat with each of the feasts. With each of the feasts, seven seals, seven feasts, seven unique packets of decrees that are being executed upon the earth. So when we reach the seventh seal, Rather than there being the silence during the Passover for those executions, well, what's happening when they cross the yard and what, what decrees are being executed? Well, it's, it's about to be the, the conquering of the Canaanite kings. They had lost, remember, they lost their belts when the Israelites made covenant at Mount Sinai. When they said, we will do and we will hear, we went over that. A few lessons back where it says he took the belts of the kings off of the Canaanite kings that gave them the authority to be there. And those belts were transferred to the Israelites. They just couldn't figure that out. Often we have spiritual authority we don't know just because we're in a state of rebellion and we can't exercise it when we're in a state of rebellion. 
But now that they've come to a state of obedience, those belts of authority, they're about to march in there. And what they realize is there's not much fighting for them to do because he's going to go before them. Just like Moses told them, stand still, shut up, just watch him work on your behalf. You're not going to have to lift a hand against Pharaoh. Well, they had to do a little more going into the land of Israel, but they didn't have to. Had they crossed 40 years earlier, it would have been the exact same experience as it was with Pharaoh. They would have crossed the Arden and the Canaanite kings would have just been destroyed. All they would have to have done is mop up, basically go pick up the loot because there was a, a hell bug called a tzila in scripture. It's called a tzila. And you see them flying up out of Abaddon in the book of Revelation. And these are at the, even though they're coming up out of the abyss, they're at the command of the Holy One. And he sends those bugs ahead of Israel to demolish, to destroy. And basically, you just walk after them and pick up the loot. You just have to be faithful. You have to obey. That's the condition. So this silence we're seeing with the seventh seal, I believe it's more the same. I think we can look back at these examples and say that's exactly what's happening right here. There's silence in heaven for about half an hour because things are being executed. The Holy One is sending out his executioners. And in some way, Israel is about to cross over in a greater way to their inheritance. They are about to experience in a greater way their inheritance. And if we match it up again to the Torah foundations, if we go back to the Jubilee year, remember the, the slaves, which they're, they're more like indentured servants than slaves as we think of them, but they have to go back to their inheritance every 50th year, whether they want to or not. Whether they want to or not, they have to go back. Even if they're a slave that had his ear pierced, they still have to go back to their original tribal allotment and take you know, possession of their property. If Israel is going to take possession of its property, which is what's about to happen in Deuteronomy 27, not so much in the crossing of the Reed Sea. Like I say, that was running from something Deuteronomy 27 is running into the inheritance running away from a death, run into the inheritance. If Israel is going to take charge of their inheritance, it'll be in stages. I think this is part of what Revelation 8 is doing. It's pointing out that on the Feast of Trumpets, what happens? Well, the, the Jubilee shofar is going to be blown at Yom HaKippurim. They are preparing, in fact, because the, the new year has already, and, and, and there's more than one year in the Bible, and this isn't the time to get into it, but there's certain guideposts in the year that create their own years, like a fiscal year. Like there has to be a, a year when you start judging the fruit of the tree and so forth. In this particular case, the the new year, there's a beginning of the months in the month of Nisan in the spring, but then there's the head or the going out of the year, as the Torah puts it, that's going to occur simultaneously with the Feast of Trumpets. 
And so the servant knows at that point, he hears that shofar. Now he begins to prepare to be a free person. There's 10 days. And during that 10 days, it's expected, the rabbinic sources tells us, that he won't go back to his inheritance then. Remember, that shofar won't blow until Yom Kippur. But for 10 days, as he prepares to leave, he will feast with his master. He will feast with his master. So if the resurrection of the dead occurs at the Feast of Trumpets, for those who are sealed, that's the, that's the important thing to remember. Those who are sealed, the righteous who are sealed, they will feast for 10 days with their master. Then the official shofar will, will blow for their freedom on Yom Kippur. And then what's going to happen? Well, they're still not going anywhere because there's going to be, again, the encampment of Sukkot in Jerusalem with the Holy One. That's his divine appointment. And it's here, it seems like at this divine appointment, he tells them one more time, be silent. There's something I want to do, or there's something that has to be done in the earth to your enemies to prepare your place. Because the place he's preparing for us is not just all spiritual. He's also preparing the physical land to be able to receive the spiritual realm of the Garden of Eden so that the two can once again merge, marry. That's when that's why you saw these gigantic fruits that the spies saw, and that freaked them out a little bit. They were allowed to see a little bit into that other realm, and they saw the size of the fruits and the pomegranates in the Garden of Eden. They saw the size of the vineyard. Remember, the grapes were so big. Well, Israel is the vineyard. And they just couldn't believe it. They're like, we're not big enough for this. <laughs> and they saw the size of the pomegranates. Remember, a pomegranate, pomegranate pip represents commandment. So a pomegranate represents all the commandments of the word. And they saw how huge Israel had become, how righteous Israel had become. And they say, there's no way we could attain to this. Of course, there's no way, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to be silent. So many times when we should be listening to the word, we're running our heads. And so at the breaking of the seventh seal, there needs to be silence while this final preparation is made. So remember, you feast again during the, the, the eight days. It's seven or eight days of Sukkot. After the, that period, then the indentured servant who has now been totally free. He's been welcomed into his freedom. He's been welcomed into his inheritance by the master. After the conclusion of Sukkot, now he returns to his own ancient property. What was assigned to him from the beginning? What was our original inheritance? You know this, the Garden of Eden. That's what we were created to be, is those who guard, those who watch over the garden and serve and worship there. And so after this, it looks like there's whatever is needs to be broken is broken. Whatever needs to be defeated 
is defeated and Israel is able to now leave the master's table and return to the place of their inheritance to defend it, to work it. So that's what we do. We guard it and we work. We serve. We worship there. And so when we're talking about the greater exodus, I think we have to look at those three contexts together. We have to see standing as a nation and being silent, recognizing that, yes, we have escaped the abyss. Now we have a new identity together. We're a people. And then Again, as we have grown in the word, as we have meshed as a people, once we reach that maturity, once we are prepared for that realm to come down and to faithfully work and serve in it, we also become a people. Um, we're, We're recognizing we're becoming a mature people. And then there is a celebration that we see in Revelation that seems to be timed with Israel going back to her inheritance. There's silence again. So as we prepare for a greater exodus, I think the lesson here is at no point was Israel confused as to where they should be or what they should be doing. They were even told how to encamp. They were told the specific order of encampment. They were each given a specific job to do. And you say, oh, I'm not sure I know that. I think you do. He has not left you comfortless, number one. He has left you the Holy Spirit. And he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He is sealing you up as one of his disciples. You know that you have come out of Egypt. Hopefully, everybody listening to this is already saved. You have a relationship with Yeshua as your Savior. And on that day, you became a people. And then you encountered the Word. You began learning the Word. You had your experience at Mount Sinai. You entered into the covenant. And you said, we will do and we will hear. Just teach us, Moses. We don't know everything yet, but just teach us. You became a people again. There, that was part of your walk. And then again, you reached a stage of maturity. You knew your place. You knew the commandments. And that's part of of learning the statutes and the commandments. It teaches you where you should be at any given time, what you should be doing at any given time. And so you continued to become a people. And I think that's the stage we're in right now. I think we're at the end of the wilderness. We're very close to the end. I think we're very close to the Arden. And we are becoming a people. Now, are we still a little unclear about, like, where's my banner? Have you seen my tribe yet? (laughs) Don't worry about that. Remember, at no point was Israel confused. When they were supposed to be somewhere, they were shown where to be. When the exact time comes for you to know where exactly your physical body is supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing, there will be no doubt in your mind. 
He did not leave you comfortless. He did not leave you without a shepherd. He did not leave you without his word. If you remain in his word, you just got the, the, it's not a magic recipe. It's the word recipe. Do his commandments and his statutes. Obey the Lord. That's what identifies you as that people. Now, the difference is all the people were gathered in one place when they came out of Egypt. All the people were gathered in one place when they were about to cross the Jordan. Because we have not reached that point, we kind of feel displaced, which we are. If we're not in Jerusalem worshiping at the feast, we are definitely displaced. We should feel a sense of, I feel like I should be doing something, but I don't know what. But you haven't reached that point yet. Remember, he had to scatter the Israelites out in Egypt before. How did he do that? He did the straw thing. He made life harder. As your life gets harder, just remember you're that much closer to crossing over. But he has created a condition by scattering us into the nations that we could give this testimony of salvation. We could give this testimony of Yeshua. We could give this testimony of obeying his commandments and his statutes. And then when he begins to collect us, I think that's the point that most people worry about. Because life has been so uncertain up to this point, for most of us, probably the way that we were brought up is very different than the way we're living now. The commandments we kept growing up are probably the same, but we've added bunches. And then there's some things we quit doing. And we never thought it would be that way. And that's unsettling. It it changes your whole life. Well, as an Israelite, the word will change your whole life. Our job, if we're in the wilderness, no matter if we're one step past the Reed Sea or one step close of the short of the, the Yarden, there's really all we have to remember is number one, don't forget your salvation. Don't forget what he did for you, bringing you out of Egypt. And because of that, be faithful to obey the Lord, do his commandments, and do his statutes. If you will do that thing, when Yeshua begins to gather, you will be ready. You will know the appointed times. You you won't be worried about, did I miss it? (laughs) Is everybody going to be gone one day and I won't know where they went? It's not going to be like that. If you're walking with him, you will know exactly when, how, and where to assemble. That's his job as the shepherd. He makes sure the sheep know where you know to follow. So don't worry about that. If that's something you've been worried about in the past, just set that to the side. Be silent. And understand that there are things he's doing in spiritual realms right now that are the equivalent of what happened right here. He went before you. Had they been faithful and not complained, had they been faithful and not fallen into idolatry, he would have gone right before them and defeated every Canaanite king. So when you're not sure whether you're just marking time or whether there's actually something going on, there is actually something going on in spiritual realms. He is going before you. He is stripping away 
the, the authority of these powers and principalities that stand between you and your inheritance. And when we're afraid sometimes, that's when we start complaining. And so if Israel complained and they knew exactly how to camp, imagine how much harder it is for us who don't really know where our encampment is. We just know where we are. We're not sure where we're supposed to be. You are probably exactly where you're supposed to be. Don't fret. Don't worry. Now, if you feel some stirring in your spirit that's telling you, you know what, I I think you need to move closer to a community. I think you need to find a healthy Torah-based community and grow there. That might be something to listen to. But in terms of of thinking, there's going to be, I don't know what we think is going to happen. <laughs> you know, is it, are we all going to meet on a football field somewhere? And I don't know. No, don't worry about something like that. Don't worry you're going to miss a bus to Israel or a cloud or however you think you're going to get there. There are things that are going to happen that are going to be just as awesome as the way that they happened before, but they won't be just exactly the same. I'm giving you the things that will be exactly the same. You will be identified with a people. You will be distinguished by what you listen to, when you shut up, what you obey, what you walk in. That will distinguish you. That will set you apart. Walking with Yeshua, walking your salvation will set you apart. Expecting your inheritance in the land will set you apart. Those things will set you apart now. If you say, well, I kind of got that already, then don't worry. When it's time for your body to go somewhere, the spirit is going to lead you there. And you will be part of that gathering. You will be part of that people. And I think that's part of the fascination with the greater exodus is nobody wants to miss it. If you think this is the generation, you certainly don't want to miss it. You won't. If you're living according to this pattern, if you're keeping the appointed times, do you see how much of this is synchronized with the appointed times? That's what I'm talking about. If you're in synchronization with the appointed times, that is the way he's gathering you right now. So you don't have to wonder, how will he do it? It'll have something to do with Shabbat, first of all. And it will have something to do with Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. If you have that nailed down, if you have that identity nailed down, there's nothing to worry about. In fact, you should be proclaiming it to other people who are worried. You shouldn't be one of the worried ones. You should be the one comforting the worried ones. What did the apostle say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. They're repeating what you already know about the feasts. Isn't that what Paul did? He repeated everything you already know about the feasts and and, uh, the day of the Lord the Feast of Trumpets, resurrection on the day of the the Feast of Trumpets, being caught up together with him in the cloud to meet the Lord in there, all this stuff, you already know it. And so if you're in synchronization with those feasts, with those appointed times, because remember, they're his appointed times, they're not yours. He appointed them. It's your job to arrive at the appointed time. 
if you arrive at the appointed time, if you prepared for the appointed time, then your ex- your physical body is probably in exactly the right place. Exactly the right place. Now, should you try to get to Israel and to Jerusalem for the feast? Sure. It's a commandment. What, what could go wrong? <laughs> Don't ask me that. <laughs> There's always going to be some little disaster when, when you make a point to go into the land to celebrate a feast. That's part of it. You just have to press through. I mean, look what Joshua and Caleb had to put up with. They couldn't go back for 40 years, but it's okay. If if you will assemble at the appointed times, this is the means. All three of these are in the context of that means of gathering you. He'll gather you each week at Shabbat so you can rehearse. He'll gather you at Passover with a people. You say, well, I don't have any real people around me that keep Passover. Then you find a live stream or a a congregation that'll let you zoom in. Join yourself to that people. However you can, join yourself with people at Shavuot. Join yourself with like-minded people at Sukkot. And if you can, the, the rest of them in between there at those appointed times, have an expectation that, yes, Yeshua, what does it say in the Siddur? In the Siddur, in the the blessings we do after meals on Shabbat, it's it's mostly scripture, but it says right here, remember the, the working text we've had, it says, your neck is like the Tower of David hung with a thousand shields of the mighty warriors. Well, here's one of the blessings we pray on Shabbat, the compassionate one. May he cause us to inherit the day which will be total Shabbat and rest for all eternity. The compassionate one, may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah and the life of the world to come. The Lord is a tower of salvations to his king and shows kindness to his anointed to David and his descendants forever. May he who makes peace in the high heavens make peace for us and for all Israel and say, Amen. What do we affirm every Shabbat? The Lord is a tower of salvations to his king and shows kindness to his anointed. So Messiah, he is our salvation. He is our king. And he is going to show us the kindness. That's why we affirm it every Shabbat. Our relationship with him of total Shabbat, inheriting the day of total Shabbat, being able to go back to our land and rest in our land on a a day that is all Shabbat, and to enjoy this tower of salvations that Yeshua is, and to experience the kindness that Adonai showed to his anointed, to Messiah. And that he makes peace in the heavens and for us in all Israel. How can he do that? Because again, the third heaven descends down to the land of Israel. If he makes peace in his heavens, then he can make peace on earth. And that's what Yeshua came to do. To reconcile us and to give us that peace. So the feasts are just like an antidote to worry about the greater exodus. Don't worry that you won't have the right ticket. Don't worry the bus will leave without you or the cloud. Don't worry that that Yeshua might overlook you. Don't worry. 
You're doing exactly what you need to do right now. You are setting aside his appointed day for the study of the word. You have kept your foot from doing your own thing, and you have made his will your will. You are allowing this this Shabbat silence, and that silence signifies that right now, Father, I'm not doing anything, and you're doing everything. When it feels like we do nothing, actually, much is happening. He's defeating kings. He's destroying obstacles. He's putting all the pieces in place. And when it happens, you'll look back and say, why was I so worried? (laughs) What did I think would happen? He would just forget me, like, like leave me in the car seat while he went shopping? He won't do that. He's never going to forget you're in the car. He's never going to leave you with a babysitter when it's when it's time to be resurrected. He won't do that. He loves you. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.